Kia ora everyone. Everybody good tonight? I see there's a whole lot less people here. I must have been pretty bad last week. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. Uh, welcome again to people at home as well watching. Uh, and uh, it's good to be with you on our second week uh, of our series uh, called Just Jesus. And uh, I, um, I actually got a new name for Facebook. Um, someone gave me an older gentleman at our last church called it Face Ache. Um, so that's your new term for Facebook, those people out there watching on Face Ache. There you go. Uh, well, we're into week two of our series, and uh, the series hopefully challenges you with the question, is Jesus enough? Yeah. Uh, is Jesus at the center of all that you do and who you are as a follower of Jesus? Uh, and I, I actually think sometimes we uh, get a bit uh, lost uh, in, our, in our, uh, our, our walk with Jesus, and uh, often he doesn't, uh, he doesn't occupy the center of who we are. So tonight is about that, the series is about that, and so I hope you, uh, you come ready to be transformed a little bit uh, by the word. Uh, tonight's passage uh, is a pretty interesting one. Um, I was reading some commentators and some pastors this week uh, who would say that this passage, these five verses in Colossians, are some of the most important verses on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Most important in the New Testament, one scholar said. Okay, So I better not stuff it up. Um, but this is an important passage, and uh, I hope you um, take it away. And, 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 and one of the things I thought about this week was that maybe if you just took these five verses and you reflected on it for a whole week, you might get something new out of it, not just from tonight. So let's open with prayer as we begin. Father, uh, it, is, it is true that at our very heart, our very core, you have made us come together as a being. Lord, right at the beginning of time when you scooped uh, the dust and you breathed life into it, Lord, we had you infused into our DNA. And Father, Scripture tells us that at the very heart of who we are, uh, you and your son were there at the beginning. And so we ask tonight, as we open this word, as we open new scriptures, Father, that you would speak to us. You would reveal yourself in a new way and in a fresh way, we pray. Amen. So I wanted to drop a question on you to start off tonight, because uh, before we get into this passage, it's quite, a, it's quite a pithy and heavy passage in some ways. But I wanted to set the tone with a good question. Okay, And the question is this. Point the right direction. How would you describe the color yellow to someone who has been blind from birth? Okay, now I want you to think about that just for a second. How would you describe the color yellow to someone who has never seen yellow and never will see it? Okay, just think about for a second while I share what our amazing creative team upstairs said to me this week when I asked them that question. So I went up there and, and they were sitting around and I asked them that question. They just sort of, Ben, who is our uh, communications director, he said, it is the feeling of the sun on your skin in summer. Oh yeah, that's why we got him as our communications director. The feeling of sun on your skin in summer. Okay. Anyone else got a description for someone who's never seen yellow what it's like? Come on, I'm frying your brain tonight. You can talk to me. I'll tell everyone on camera. It's the color that makes you smile. The color that makes you smile. I like that. I like that. Anyone else? How do you describe it? Sunshine. 
It's the sound of your friends laughing. Woo, this is good. This is good. One more. Down the back. Joy and happiness. Joy and happiness. Well, do you know that um, Yeah, Paul wants to describe Jesus in a poetic way? And in some ways, he's trying to describe the color yellow to someone who's never seen it before. He wants those in the Colossian world uh, that he's writing this to to understand something more about who Jesus is. And he's asking similar questions to this. Actually, in New Zealand, someone else tried to describe yellow in a different way. Uh, Here's a picture. Uh, They had yellow chocolate. I I asked you to describe what yellow is. These guys tried to put a flavor to yellow. All right. Now, how many of you would just say pineapple lumps, banana, uh, lemon, maybe? But you see, all those kind of constructions mean nothing to someone who can't see those colors, right? So you imagine a blind person trying to eat yellow chocolate, and I wonder if they actually found out what yellow tasted like. Um, I don't think they did. This was actually, how many of you, how many young people heard of the yellow pages? One, two, yeah, so this is something we used to have, you know, these big books we used to open up to look for someone's number instead of just Googling it or having it programmed to your phone. This was the ad campaign, and they, their little, their little um, slide that went with it, their little... Um, logo that went with it is the indefinable taste of yellow defined by yellow. You can understand why they went out of business, right? I mean, that's rubbish, really. I mean, the indefinable taste of yellow defined by yellow. Uh, I just find that a bit strange. But in some ways, this is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to explain yellow to someone blind from birth or to create the flavor yellow for a similar audience. And it can seem like an impossible task. And in tonight's passage, he, uh, uh, writing from prison, so this this letter is written as Paul sitting in prison, not the most creative of spaces uh, to be writing from, but he's in a Roman prison in Rome, and he's saying, you know what, I've heard the good news about what's going on down there, and I need to encourage them, and I need to keep giving them this picture of who God is and what he's doing amongst them. And in this small passage, these five verses, he has this amazing poetic rendering. Now, I was here on Wednesday night, and I think I saw her here, the one that was doing uh, the, yes, yes, the spoken word poetry. You know, I I, I really appreciate spoken word poetry because within about five minutes, you can have a whole sermon. How many of you wish that tonight? (laughs) I might get you to come up and do a, a spoken word at some point, but it was amazing, right? And within those few moments, you get something more from fewer words than you do from many words. A song's like that, right? If I just hum a tune to you, you automatically go to a place, right? What did I sing? Twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah, A, B, C, D, E. Yeah, I don't think that would work in Japan. Uh, I don't think it'll work in Africa, but for us, there's an amazing thing that's connected to a memory of sound and hum. This is a creative way in which Paul's trying to bring it across to us. And actually, there's this guy called, uh, his name's Gilbert, G.K. Chesterton, uh, and he said these words. He said, for us creatures of space and time, to say anything about eternity or someone pre-existing earth and matter 
without misleadingly clothing it. Oh, I like that. Without misleadingly clothing it in temporal or spatial imagery is almost impossible. Okay? This is what Paul is doing for us tonight. And so uh, he's not trying to put fluffy language around it. He's trying to put across something so important that you and I grasp it with all that we are. So we're going to be reading from verses 15 through to 20 of Colossians 1. And I'm going to use the message version again tonight for you all. It goes like this. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. He's talking about Jesus. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up into this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces in the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. <laughs> powerful verses, very powerful verses. What these verses say to me is that Jesus reveals the very nature and the character of God. In that person of Jesus that he described in that space, everything makes sense about life and eternity, what has been and what is to come. Those are amazing verses. And some of you will have a different version uh, of um, Bible uh, on your phone or at home. Go back, get those five verses, verses 15 to 20, and have another look at them. I think Paul is asking three questions of us tonight. And the three questions are this. Who is the true God and what has he done? Who are we or they, the Colossians, as a result of this? And what does it mean to live in him and for him? He's answering those questions in just five verses. This is the entire sort of grabbing of what Christianity is to us. Jesus transforms the way that we look at the world. And so Paul frames who Jesus is, hoping that you and I and the Colossians will step into that radical life-altering reality. We've got to live from that reality, that understanding. So who is God and who is this God that Paul is depicting? Verse 
uh, 15 to 18, we look to the sun to see God who cannot be seen. I love that, that amazing verse. And I've highlighted that bit there. But everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. When we, when we try to grasp that, when we try to think through that, it's a bit hard, isn't it? If you go back to Genesis, and in Genesis 1, it says, um, God created. It comes from this, this Hebrew word called Elohim. Elohim is plural. It's a plural word. It's talking about there was someone else there at the start with God. It was Jesus, right? And then it, as we step through Scripture, we get this picture of Jesus being involved in so much more than that. And it even says that the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there at the beginning, and they're going to be there at the resurrection. That actually changes the way we think about who God is and what God does. All things were created in him and by him. Earth, all things in heavens, angels, dominions, rulers, thrones, all of these things, the very seats, came into being because God created through Jesus. Through Jesus. And what Paul tells us here is that the same power and presence that brought life as we know it about is fully present in him and fully present in you. He literally is at the center of everything, sustaining it to this point, as the scripture tells us. There's this guy called David Garland, and uh, he, he has this great little uh, saying, which I'll share in a second, but we actually get into the space where we have um, Christian cliches that shape our understanding of Jesus. We get into that space sometimes where uh, we're thinking about uh, our walk with him and, and mum and dad will say something. My dad used to have this. My dad wasn't a Christian. He'd say, cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you heard that before? Yeah, suffering for Jesus with me. All right. That was his excuse to try and make me do cleaning up, right? We put Jesus sometimes into guru status, don't we? We put him in this place where he was just some sort of wise guy that did good things, you know, the ultimate uh, social justice warrior. And we can form our understanding of faith around those things. This guy, uh, David Garland, he said this. Uh, what did he say? Where is it? Uh, he isn't just some Galilean charismatic holy man, some wise wandering peasant, a political revolutionary or countercultural crusader doing good and espousing pithy maxims for life. He isn't, but we can make him that way. And Paul knows that, and he knows that these Christians in, in, in Colossae and even us today, I love how Craig talked about us uh, this morning, sort of going, I don't know if he wrote this thinking that 2,000 years from now someone would be reading this, but it's just as important today as it was for them because he was speaking into a real place real issues, the life of Jesus in us. And he continues to be the fullness of God. This is the image of something invisible that transforms the present. Paul goes on in uh, chapter 2, uh, sorry, um, 2 Colossians 4. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. This is, this is him speaking to another group, same sort of heart. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is, temp what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
He's turning our hearts towards something different. He's turning our hearts towards Jesus who is and was and is to come. Believing in what we can't see is a hard thing, isn't it? I, uh, we had a trampoline at our house, and I don't know if many of you have done this either with your kids or uh, with little kids, but you lie on the trampoline, you look up at the clouds, you know, and you say, what do you see in the clouds? Now, if you lie on a trampoline with my son, oh, it's a whole other ball game. You look up at the clouds, he says, it's a dragon with guns and antennae. Why? Because that's what he sees. That's what he's been reading in books or something that he understands. But he, he, he's constructing what he understands about the world and, and mythical things in the clouds, in what he sees. Paul is trying to help them to see something different. And I think he's calling that of us as well. You see, they, they lived in a world where they had to worship an emperor, a physical person who was there among them, and they thought they were deity. And, and so if you didn't worship the emperor or give honor to them, you, you, know, you kind of got put to the sword. And so they, they lived in the world where this is a real pressure. It wasn't something that, uh, that they sort of fold, fooled around with. I remember some of my family's sayings because they're things that form who I am. And see, what Paul's trying to do is trying to form something new in these people. He's saying, who are you as a result of knowing this information, of living and seeing Jesus among you? So that leads us to this logical next question. Who are they as a result? Well, this, the scripture says, you know, we are there. Uh, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He was supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. He's saying to them, as a result of Jesus being here, you have eternal life. You have power. You have his presence. That should change everything about who we are, shouldn't it? It really should. But we walk around thinking and believing in a lot of ways through our actions that he's not there, that he was just some wise guru who did what he did and said what he said. He's calling them to action. He's calling them to be a distinctly Christian group, to be different, to stand out. It's an image of the invisible that transforms their presence. Most of us don't really want to stand out. But he's calling him to stand up for the right reasons, for justice, for integrity, for hope, for the love of someone, for caring. We can go through and we can pick out all sorts of renderings of that from the New Testament, but Jesus was calling them to live into the very DNA that was placed in them. You are called by God. You are held together by him in Jesus. We are children of God. Um, it's funny, um, sometimes our image is formed by other things. Um, I, remember, <laughs> I remember my wife, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, there was a, there was a funny meme I saw on, on Facebook, and it says, when I opened my mouth, my mother came out. <laughs> How many ladies have experienced that? Yes. Uh, my wife, in the last <laughs> couple of years, has paused at certain times in her life, and she's sort of been wow, that really did sound like my mother. <laughs> but that's okay because that's the influence. That's the person who shaped her. That's, 
been growing her. Who is she as a result? She's part Althea, <laughs> which is my mother-in-law, who I love dearly and may be watching. Uh, just saying. But who are we as a result of knowing who Jesus is and having his influence on our life? If our mums and the way in which they nurture us and care for us rub off on us, that's a good thing. But what about Jesus? What about his life? What about the things that he calls out from each one of us? How are those things coming to be a part of your life, who you are? So I uh, got to meet um, a couple of people uh, when I was a pastor at Auckland, and these people were going through cancer treatment. In fact, I've, I've prayed for many who have had cancer, and I haven't seen any healed yet. But I went to Bruce's house. He had a couple of weeks to go. And uh, it's actually a real privilege sitting with people in that space. It's something that I really value as a pastor to stand and sit with those people who are going through it. And uh, as I was talking to him, and we prayed, and I always pray, uh, because, you know, you never know what God's going to do. I was praying for him. I prayed for healing. And, and uh, he said to me, you know what, Rob? The most important thing to me isn't so much whether I get healed or not. It's whether or not I know the healer. Because I can postpone my life here on earth, but I can't navigate my way around an eternity without Jesus. You see, Bruce taught me something in that space, uh, which I'll never forget. Here I am, hoping and praying for a longer life here. And here he is, looking forward to an eternal life beyond here. He had a picture of Jesus that I did not have in my heart. And it grew and grew and grew and continues to grow in me. He's an amazing guy. So it leads us to this question. What does it mean then to live in and for him? There's a, I'll skip this. This is our scripture that we've been looking at. What does it mean to live with that truth in your life? That the very atoms that hold us together are being held together by God. Does it transform the way you look at the world? Does it transform the way you look at faith? your relationships, how we communicate with one another. If we can see Jesus at the center of all of these things, what does that change or transform about you? You see Romans 1.21, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And everything that this is talking about, we can see who Jesus is when we render it down. And I believe uh, these are the kind of verses that sum up what it means to be in him and for him. There was a, an amazing, uh, amazing little thing I found um, a few years ago, and it's uh, from uh, the, uh, what was it called? The first convention of the Baptist churches in 1845. And after that convention, they came away and they, they recognized four key statements that would shape who they were and continue to be kind of the central for them. Uh, 1845, long time ago, right? Uh, so this is, this, is, this is their statement. They said, 
We want to become people who see the invisible, who hear the inaudible, believe the incredible, and think the unthinkable. Aren't those pretty good? People who see the invisible, hear the inaudible, believe the incredible, and think the unthinkable. I think we've probably wandered away from some of those things, haven't we? I believe that those, those values that were there right at the beginning uh, of, the, of the church in, in, in Baptist sense should be values we continue to hold today. And often we, we, we shy away from uh, those, those key um, tenets of who we are. You see, what's at the heart of this is a, is a, a big a theological word called incarnation. How <laughs> I many you know what incarnation is? Here's one or two, one or two. Of course, Dr. John will know what incarnation is. This is called incarnational ecclesiology. There you go. There's a big word for you at home. Google that while you're sitting there. The incarnation is about the embodiment and the exhibition of who God is. Jesus was the complete embodiment and exhibited everything of who God was. I always think to myself when I think of that, I wonder what... Um, Elijah was thinking, if he was alive, and Jesus was alive, right? He was alive before that, right? And he got put in the rock. Remember he got put in the rock, Kings, 1 Kings 19? And Jesus said, uh, God said, I'm going to pass by, and you're going to see my back. I wonder if he saw Jesus walking away. He looked at the bag and went, I know who that is. I wonder if that's God. Yeah? Because if Jesus is the complete embodiment of who God is, okay, it wasn't just looks, of course. It's the very presence and essence of who God is. Does Jesus transform the way you see the world? That's the question I want you to hold on to tonight. Does he change the way you see the world? Are you becoming a visible um, image of an invisible Christ for others? I uh, think of people that I know who have become that. Are we going to have them here in a few weeks' time? Ian Foster. Uh, he's going to be coming and sharing in the evening. How has faith, and these are questions we might ask him, I think, how has faith transformed who he is as a leader in the rugby world? My friends, Paul and Sarah, who run the law workshop, they've become the visible image of who God is for those who live in a dark place. What about an at-home mum? I know she, my wife, when she was at home with our children, was becoming more and more that visible image of who Jesus was to them. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're a teacher. I know my sister, Grace, you know, she spends a lot of time loving and praying for her kids in her classroom. This is a non-Christian school, but you know what? Jesus is coming through her. She lives in him and for him. I want to ask you again. What does it mean for you to live with Jesus at the center? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? I invite the band to come as I pray. Lord, I, I know that in this, these, these short verses, um, the Apostle Paul was trying to give us a picture of who you are. And Lord, we experience and understand that uh, in so many different ways. 
Lord, we can see it in poetry. Lord, we can see it in song. Lord, we can try and understand something that's, that's not there in words. But Lord, sometimes that's not enough. And Father, we, we come humbly tonight and ask that you would make visible that which is invisible to us by your Spirit. That you would come and speak to us about what it means to have just Jesus at the center of who we are. Father, we welcome your transforming spirit to do what only you can do. We humbly come and ask, Father, that you would uh, bring healing into places that are broken. Father, you would speak truth into a place where there are lies. And Father, you would draw out of us that life that reflects Jesus. We ask this in your son's precious name who holds all things together. Amen. Amen.